And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. the last day of the week for us last show of the week at least here live from the bunker hello everyone and welcome jason hunt here in the bunker at the super secret underground headquarters the live chat is open any of you who are willing to share your thoughts and participate in the conversation today the email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com for those of you who are watching later or if you want to leave a comment in the thread, you can do that as well. And coming October 31st, we've got a new show. I'm not ready to tell you about it yet, but I want you to mark your calendars. October 31st, a new program coming to Sci-Fi For Me TV. Very excited about it. Very much looking forward to it because I'm not the host of it. Which is great. All right, so as I'm as I'm going through uh, some different things, uh, it is uh, it is something that I don't do uh, too often. Uh, tell, telling people about all of our social media, we're on a lot of it. Uh, so well, let me go through that real quick. We are on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram. Minds, MeWe, Gab, we're not on Parlor, we're not on Tumblr, we're not on Snapchat. So you can find us on all of those social medias uh, at Sci-Fi For Me, and uh, you can leave comments there as well. So, uh, so there we are. How's everybody doing today? We're going to do hot takes today. Well, sort of. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat, is that a girly ma magazine on the desk? No, it is not. It is a copy of Sci-Fi Magazine with Scarlett Johansson on the front. Article in there about Black Widow. And I'm doing uh, some industrial research. Um, studying the competition, as it were. It's good to see, though, uh, Ian Spelling has a couple of articles in that particular edition. Uh, we interviewed him back in our Starlog magazine feature that we did last year. So uh, check that out over at SciFiForMe.com. So hello, everyone, and welcome. Uh, hi, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat. Hi, Robert in the chat. Robert says, just got the sticker. Haven't put on uh, uh, the sweet and low canister yet. We'll do that today. I appreciate that. Um, yes, fly, fly that, uh, fly that sticker flag, uh, proud. If any of you would like one, I'm going to throw that on there. Uh, our mailing address, you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope, sci-fi for me, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030, and we'll send you one of these. It's a, it's a nice little sticker. I have one on the back of my phone. So as I'm going through, I open up Twitter this morning, I see trending uh, among all of the flotsam and jetsam of the, of the, of the society at large. Uh, ben 10 is trending on Twitter, and I'm thinking to myself, why in the world is Ben 10 trending on Twitter? It turns out Ben 10's got a new game coming out called Power Trip. Uh, this has just been announced, apparently, now available for digital pre-order and pre-download on Xbox One. And I have no idea anything about this game, but it looks like there's Kevin. Uh, I see a bunch of uh, a bunch of the aliens. I'm wondering how many aliens you're going to be able to play on this, because every design takes up memory. So, interesting stuff. At least they didn't go CalArts style like... Uh, she-Ra and 
Thundercats Roar and Steven Universe. So I guess that's something. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, industrial research on ScarJo. Did you hear? Uh, there's a rumor, and I haven't looked into it yet. I just ran across it before we started broadcasting. That apparently, Marvel has plans to bring Black Widow back from the dead. Bum, bum, bum. Probably to appease our Russian masters, right? Or something. Maybe. I don't know. <sighs> it is an interesting day. All right, so as, as part of my day job, I've mentioned this before a couple of times, as part of my day job, my, my actual pays-the-bills career, as it were, uh, I am a freelancer in media production, and one of the many hats that I wear, uh, I do uh, join the crews for various different network broadcasts for sports events. And the last one that I did, I was in the, we were in the midst of the Big 12 basketball tournament here in Kansas City, and that's, that's when everything got shut down back in March. And we didn't finish the tournament. And I have not had any work, any any real, I mean, I've had every now and again the occasional gig, but I haven't had any real work since then. So last week I got a call uh, that, you know, we're, we're, we need local crew for the Chiefs game. The Chiefs, Chiefs home opener is tonight. And so I am going to be uh, out on the Skycam crew, we're going to be we're going to be out there for the you know this is the camera that flies over flies over the field. The way this things work this works, the camera is on a platform over the field and it's got four cables that pop out from the from each corner, going up through uh, through the top of the stadium and down to these motorized take up reels. And as the reels uh, spin out and draw back in, that's how they change the direction and, and move the, the camera. So we babysit those reels. You know, I get paid to sit for three hours. So, okay, fine. But as part of the new normal, we have to do the COVID-19 tests. And the original plan was, we're going to send them by FedEx overnight, uh, your home test kit. And you do the home test kit and send it off, and, and that gives us plenty of time. We can see if anybody's got it and, and, and adjust accordingly and whatnot. We didn't get the tests. And then a couple of days go by, we still haven't gotten the test. We didn't get the test, I, didn't think, I don't think, until Tuesday. And I was like, okay, well, there's a new plan. Everybody come to the hotel where the crew is staying, and we'll do the tests the night before. So last night, uh, last night we went and did these tests. I failed, came back negative. Sorry, no, I didn't study hard enough. But it was it was interesting to see how this whole thing shakes out because here we are standing in the corridor in the hotel. All of us kind of congregated there. Now, there's some distance. People are not standing immediately next to each other, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, cheek to cheek. We're not, we're not packed in there. But we're all standing there, and, and a couple of people, we're, we're all looking around. It's like, we're, what if one of us tests positive, and we're all standing around here, and we're all exposed? The, the 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 bureaucratic mentality that drives some of this is mind-boggling to me because we're going through these steps. We're going through these preventive steps. We're going through all of this, you know, these protective measures. And they don't really stand up to logic. Because if, if, anybody, if anybody there is exposed, if anybody there has had it, or has it, actively has it, whether they're symptomatic or not, then everybody around there has the chance of getting it. 
so the test comes back negative. And, you know, you do the, it's a, it's the nasal slob. Do the test. We get the, get the, uh, get the whole thing and, and it's negative. Great. No problem. So now it strikes me. Now that I've got a negative result, I could go to a party tonight and get exposed and contract this thing. And I still got a negative test. I don't know. It's the whole thing's dumb. Uh, yeah. You know, that's uh, snob says it's a disease theater, just like security theater with the TSA. I think that's a very good analogy. The The security at airports has has always since 9-11, especially has been reactive. And it is uh, it, it's a sign of the times, I guess. I mean, that's that's what we've got to deal with now. But the paperwork that I signed, the permission slip that I signed. Also, was interesting to note that the the they are getting you to agree to test daily for a year. Okay, fine, whatever. I mean, it's it's it's. I'm I'm equating it in my mind to random drug test. Okay, no problem. But. It's just one more thing, you know? Anyway, all right. So that's so that's where we are with that. But I don't have it. Which I guess is good. Because then I can't give it to Mrs. Boss. Because then we would have to quarantine and stay in the house. Oh, wait a minute. We kind of do that anyway. <sighs> All right, so hot take today. Here's a here's a good one. I this one this one kind of struck me. Somebody they were talking about you know best movies of all time type of thing. This just ran across this on Twitter. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but somebody posts uh, this list and this list of the best movies ever uh, are all movies that have been made in the last you know twenty some odd years. And in the discussion thread behind it, the, somebody posts, "We're pre nineteen were pre nineteen seventy five movies four K or HD? Didn't think so. They're trash." And I'm thinking that's that's a really hot take uh, to to be having about about film because without any of the classic films like Citizen Kane or Casablanca or uh, even, shoot, even you go back to, to Hudsucker Proxy. Hudsucker Proxy was kind of a fun film. It wasn't a classic. But you have these really good movies, Rebel Without a Cause, um, Midway, it, it, The Day the Earth Stood Still, War of the Worlds. You, know, you, you just start getting into these films, Gone with the Wind, The Wizard of Oz, The Godfather, any, any of those. Uh, and and these people are like, no, pre nineteen seventy five. Well, two thousand one was pre nineteen seventy five. I don't know. It's it just this generation. There is a group of people out there, and I don't know if this is a generational thing or if this is an upbringing thing or what. But it's anything that happened before you were born didn't happen type of mentality. And it is so disheartening to see that so widespread because I see it a lot. And people think that they have this original thought and it's not. So, uh, sci-fi snob, the hot take sounds like a troll. It could very well be. It could be somebody just, just poking the bear. Um, and the Wizard of Oz, yeah, Robert, it's a it's a good film. It, it's uh, it still holds up after all this time. Uh, even the special effects. I mean that that tornado effect was something. It was a practical effect that they did for. They used that for decades on how to how to create tornadoes in in films. So, yeah, it still holds up definitely. Uh, speaking of <clears throat> the Oscars, because you know Wizard of Oz was nominated, I think. I think Judy Garland got a special Oscar that year. Wizard of Oz didn't get the best picture Gone with the Wind did. But we're talking today, and and I had thought about doing this earlier. We talked about this yesterday a little bit. I was thinking about doing this this bit on the Oscars. 
And I thought, you know, it probably is best to wait because as we've seen with a number of stories that play out in the news, the first, the first version of the story does not always end up being the true story. And th- there's nuance and there's reaction and there's different things, but there's, there's different angles and different aspects to this. And I thought it would just kind of sit and let it simmer for a little bit. And I'm glad I did because not only do we have the new rules for best picture qualifications from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, but we also have reaction and we also have an oh, by the way, as well. So let's get into this here. This is an Entertainment Weekly. Um, Let's do that. And I don't have, I need to do, I don't know, should I put, should I put my face here like Tim Pool does when we're reading articles? Would that be, would that be something to do? I, do I need a beanie on here? So Oscars unveiled new representation and inclusion standards for best picture eligibility. This is by Lauren Huff, September 8th in Entertainment Weekly. And I'm not going to go through the entire thing, but it basically, it's part of their Aperture 2025 initiative, whatever that is. Um, it's, it's that in, it, inclusion and diversity program they've got. And as they go through all of this, uh, going up for 2022, 2023, for the 96th Oscars, which are next year, you have this, this the new eligibility standards. To achieve standard A, which I think A stands for aperture, the film must meet one of the following criteria. Uh, oh, standard A. So there's four, four criteria. On-screen representation, themes, and narratives is standard A. I should, I should learn to read. Standard B, creative leadership and project team. So this is the crew. Standard C, industry access and opportunities. Uh, so this is behind-the-scenes support staff, advertising, marketing, and stuff. Uh, and then standard D, audience development. So who who are we reaching with our 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 movies? So lead or significant supporting actors. At least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. General ensemble cast. At least thirty percent of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups, and they go through you know race, gender, orientation, uh, physical abilities and disabilities and that sort of thing. Mental uh, abilities in here as well. You know people with cognitive disabilities. Main storyline subject matter. Uh, theme or narrative of the film is centered on an unrepresented group. And then you go into the creative leadership team, the same kind of thing. At least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads are from the following underrepresented groups. So casting, cinematography, music, costume, directing, editor, hair, makeup, producer, all of, all of the big crew lead positions, they need to have at least two from these marginalized groups. Intersectional is even better. Uh, other key roles, crew supervision, and then industry access, thing like apprenticeships, internships. Um, then you go into training opportunities. You go like that. Audience development then is the marketing, the publicity, the distribution aspects of this. So this is the, this is the new normal for the Academy Awards. They are going to... Uh, regulate and police uh, film productions and say, hey, you don't have enough black people on your crew. Your film doesn't qualify for best picture. It's not about craft. It's not about how well the movie is made. It's all about race and gender quotas. You know, this is affirmative action writ large in terms of best picture qualification. Now, again, it's limited to best picture. But I see, I foresee that this could, ha- this could be expanded into all of the other categories. If you want to be nominated for an Academy Award, then you must check off these boxes, uh, which has gone really well for the Hugos, as we've seen. 
and it's gone really well over at Marvel. Let's check the boxes. Here's some reaction. Kirstie Alley, who is a member of the Academy, so she votes on the Oscars. Uh, she says, quote, This is a disgrace to artists everywhere. Can you imagine telling Picasso what had to be in his effing paintings? You people have lost your minds. Control artists, control individual thought. Oscar Orwell. <laughs> she since deleted it, uh, but it's one of those... It's it's one of those things where it's it's about the color of the skin and not about the content of the character. It's it's a complete opposite. It's the antithesis of what the civil rights movement was all about. And it strikes me that we keep coming back to this. Uh, and I've said this before. Hollywood continues to learn the wrong lessons from everything. And this is one of those things where, where this is on full display, how they are, they are learning the wrong lesson. Now, it's, it's, it's possible. I'll allow for the possibility that this could be enough of a conversation starter that people start to actively say, you know, we really need to, to mix it up a little bit and get the best qualified people who happen to be black, Asian, Latino, whatever. But you know it's not going to go that way. And it's not going to go the way anybody thinks. This is Mark Harris, who is a writer in New York. I think it says here he's a contributor to New York Magazine and Vulture. And he's got a thread reacting to all this, thinking about all this. Uh, he says, my first three, quote, my first three reactions to this are, one, this is an immense change in what the Academy sees as its mission. Two, unlike other recent uh, Academy decisions, this doesn't look hasty. Three, it's good they have two years to work out the kinks because there are issues. And he continues. Uh, it'll be easier for studio, movie, studio movies to meet these standards than for indies. And we've already seen that discussion in a number of places where... Uh, people talk about the smaller crews, the low-budget films that might not be able to meet these these criteria. Uh, he also points out, you know, Harris also points out there are also legal issues with asking about someone's sexual orientation, identity, a disability status, and the hiring process. And to me, it should also be something where you don't ask their race. Take race off the job applications. If you really want to be colorblind and hire people simply based on whether or not they can do the job, take race off of the job applications. I dare you. But nobody's going to do that because they have to have that information. They have to have that data to see to, to show, hey, look how progressive we are. Look how inclusive we are because we have all of these people. Checkbox, 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 checkbox. And that's all this is going to do. Harris continues here. The net result could be that these standards by 2024 are relaxed just enough so that, guess what, basically every movie can meet them and all that leaves out the question of how the industry will react to Academy essentially deciding that it is now a kind of a regulatory agency, which is not how it's supposed to set up. Um, <clears throat> day after thought, he says, the more I look at these new Academy rules, the more I think their only effect, as written, is to favor large companies. Studio filmmakers will literally not have to do a thing to meet these standards. The studio can take care of all of it, via standards C and D, which are the internships and apprenticeships and the marketing and the distribution. And it means that nothing changes in terms of casting or crew, as long as you can meet at least two of those four criteria. And what Harris is saying, he's got a very good point here. If, if you can meet the criteria of marketing people or how many apprentices you have or how many interns you've got on on set or in the studio or in the office they don't even have to be on studio on on set they can be in the office they can be back in burbank or wherever 
they don't even have to be involved in the production of the film. They can be involved in the marketing of the film. You know, get uh, get some, you know, get a get a mix, a diverse people, uh, a diverse mix of people to handle your social media and boom, done. It's not it's not going to be that hard for the indie crowd, for the indie indie projects. It's going to be much more difficult, especially if you're in some place like, I don't know, Norway. What if we get another foreign film like Parasite that gets nominated for Best Picture in addition to being a foreign film? Is that not going to happen anymore? Who knows? You know, because Parasite is being held up as an example of saying, you know, based on this new criteria, Parasite probably would not have been nominated for Best Picture. I... It's, uh, I don't know. I just, but you know, this is getting criticism from both sides of the aisle. It's not a, it's not a left or right thing. It's not a conservative liberal thing. It's, uh, how much is this actually going to have an effect? How much of this is actually going to change things, especially when you consider the involvement of China? Because that's the other that's the other shoe that drops this week. Because you're talking about racial diversity and gender diversity and and LGBTQ VIP ASAP LMNOP representation in film. And then we get this article in Axios. Study, here's the headline, study, Hollywood casts more light-skinned actors for Chinese market. And this goes back to what Harris is saying, is, is you, can, you can still meet the best picture criteria that are coming down the pike and not change a thing in terms of representation on your cast and crew. And you'll still be able to do this to appease the Chinese market. Uh, the, the article, an academic study has found that since 2012, when the Chinese government began allowing more foreign films into the country, Hollywood movies have cast more light-skinned actors in starring roles. Key takeaway, the researchers concluded U.S. film studios were casting to fulfill the aesthetic preferences of Chinese moviegoers in a culture that places a premium on light skin, a phenomenon known as colorism. Uh, the study was published in October 2017, examined more than 3,000 films from between 2009 and 2015, and found that films made after 2012 demonstrated an 8% increase in the number of very light-skinned actors in starring roles. The 8% shift meant that for one of every three films in this category, the film went from having two out of three as very light-skinned actors to having three out of three very light-skinned actors. This study is from Johns Hopkins Carey Business School Research. Uh, Manuel Hermosilla, Fernanda Gutierrez Navratil, and Juan uh, Prieto Rodriguez, the authors, it was written October 3rd of 2017, and we're just now really getting some coverage of this because of the, the, the big focus now, well, we need more diversity, we need more diversity. Yes, but you're not, you're not practicing what you preach, Hollywood. And then, you know, we get this, uh, we get these comments, this interview in GQ magazine with John Boyega. And we saw how Finn was minimized in the, in the promotional material for, for Star Wars in China. He's, he's pictured little, little, bitty, 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 small on the poster for Star Wars in China. And, you know, we hear Boyega sitting there saying, you know, I was the token black. You know, you set up the you set up the black guy to be the hero for the marketing, and you get everybody in, you get everybody interested in, and then toss them aside in favor of Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley. Uh, 
Kelly Marie Tran, same way. Oscar Isaac, the same way. But Finn was front and center at the very beginning in that first trailer. And you gave him the lightsaber at the end of The Force Awakens. And he had, he had the beginnings of a good arc. There was interesting stuff happening there. And then Ryan Johnson happened. It's one of those things. I just... I don't... I, it's it's hard to reconcile and and hollywood is going to have this challenge as most people on the left are going to have this challenge at least in, in at least at the elected official level and the leadership level of this kind of thing you say one thing you do something else and i have always held the opinion that any kind of affirmative action program is inherently racist because at its core, it assumes that because you are checkbox, fill in the blank, you are unable to succeed on your own. That is the core. In my opinion, that is the very heart of affirmative action. You poor fill in the blank, you can't do it on your own, so we have to help you. And it's now gotten to a point where the shift has gotten so far over to the extreme that we've basically come full circle in where we were in, before the civil rights movement. Uh, you know, case in point, University of Missouri, uh, University of Michigan at Dearborn sets up a non-person of color cafe and a person of color cafe. What purpose does it serve to segregate people after all of this time when we've been saying it's a bad thing to do, now suddenly we're doing it again? This makes no sense to me. Not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What does that mean exactly? If you are going to spend all of your time and effort focusing on race, gender, then that's all it is. You are continuing to propagate the mentality of discriminating or favoring based on race, based on skin color, based on plumbing. And that's wrong. It is morally reprehensible to assume anything about a person simply because of what they look like. And yet, here we are again. And I find it ironic that it, are, it is the people of the progressive mindset. And I'm probably going to get a little bit of blowback here, but it, it I, I find it ironic that it's the people of the progressive mindset who are the ones who are the segregationists. You look at what happened up in, Portland, uh, in Seattle, the Chazistan, the black area. Why are we segregating people? Isn't this something that that you're, you're not? Aren't we supposed to be past this? Aren't we supposed to be in a post-racial time? I mean, this is not going to go well for Hollywood. And to bring it into a a, a genre-focused piece of the discussion, just because I, you know, we're a genre channel, we're going to focus on start. You know, we. Talk about Star Wars and Star Trek and, and that. The Academy, this is going to be a broad problem. But the examples that we've got of, you know, Hollywood casting lighter skin, fairer skin, appeasing the Chinese, there is a history there with genre stuff. And the most recent example of Hollywood appeasing the Chinese is Mulan. 
this article here from Business Insider, the headline, Disney filmed parts of Mulan in China's uh, Xinjiang, where millions of Muslims are being spied on and locked up. That's the headline. The double standard that Hollywood is demonstrating sickens me. Because this film, it says here, right here on this, here's the takeaway. In the credits, the movie thanked the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region Committee, and the Bureau of Public Security in Turpan, which is a city in that area. That's where they have the re-education centers. Read that as concentration camps for Muslims in China. And this is not the first controversy that surrounded Mulan. Because you remember back in the day when, when the Hong Kong thing was, was front and center before it was inconvenient for people, you had the, the, the young lady playing Mulan basically saying, you know, the Chinese police and the Hong Kong police, the protesters are wrong and the police need to put them, put them, you know, put them away and, and shut them down. This is not the first time that Disney has done this kind of thing. The involvement with, you know, you, you, look, at, uh, you look at Iron Man 3. Here's uh, Bleeding Cool. I hate to even reference these people. Bleeding Cool magazines, quoting a, 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 a book by uh, Chris Fenton, who was... Uh, former president of the Chinese-based DMG Entertainment Motion Picture Group. He's written a book called Feeding the Dragon, uh, talking about uh, his career and getting uh, more Hollywood fare into the Chinese market. And there was a time where they pitched, you know, the kid that shows up in Iron Man 3, they had pitched him as a Chinese kid. And the, the background on the kid would have would have lined up and paralleled President Xi, who's now in charge of China, basically as a sop to the Chinese government. Uh, now, the, eventually, they ended up not doing that. They ended up having uh, Fan Bingbing and, and another actor uh, playing the medical staff that was pulling, you know, doing the surgery on Tony Stark at the end, pulling the, the arc reactor out. Um, uh so that was that was what they ended up doing. But again, you know, Iron Man 3 has extra footage in it for the Chinese market. And then you look here, this is a this is an article here from the South China Morning Post. Nine films that show how China influences Hollywood from Iron Man 3 to Top Gun 2. I didn't notice this one. Uh, but it says here, you look at the, the photograph of the, of the jacket on the back of Tom Cruise's uh, Maverick. The, ja the Japanese and Taiwan flags are no longer on that jacket. And of course we get into the, the casting of Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. And that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to that. Uh, Skyfall's not really there. Looper. It's got some footage in it specifically for the Chinese market. Iron Man 3 we talked about. Uh, Pixels has stuff in it. Uh, when uh, in a montage of world monuments being destroyed, the Great Wall was replaced by the Taj Mahal for the Chinese market. Captain America Civil War. They mentioned that. World War Z. And then, of course, the Red Dawn reboot which instead of the chinese and cubans the russians you know the russians coming in from cuba and the chinese coming in invading uh they made it north koreans and everybody sat there and said uh it is completely unbelievable in every every way shape or form that the north koreans could ever invade the united states one of the reasons why that movie did not work. I mean, really, the North Koreans invading the United States. It, okay. But it wasn't. It was, it was, 
in originally in the original film with Patrick Swayze, it was the Russians, the Cubans, the Chinese. But you can't do that anymore because it's not proper. This is going to turn out to be a much bigger problem, I think, than Hollywood wants to acknowledge. And it just goes back to this idea of double standards. Uh, and I get it, you know, Hollywood is a business. Hollywood is in the market, you know, is in the business of making money, and you have to do things in order to make money. I get it. That I, I don't have any problem with that. I would love to make money off of what I do here. Um, Sci-Fi Snob says uh, doesn't he doesn't remember any Chinese in the original Red Dawn. I th I don't know that we saw them on screen. I think they were mentioned as as invading other parts of Colorado uh, and the West Coast. I would have to check though. That that's a good question. I, you'd have I would have to check um, because according to this article. Uh, it says in the original version of the remake, the U.S. was invaded by the Chinese. And, and I know that the Russians were on American soil. I don't, I don't know for sure that the Chinese were there, but the Chinese were probably part of it because they were allies at the time. And, they, and, and I don't know if they kind of still are, but, you know, communists. So, uh, but I would have to check that. It's been a very long time since I've watched that movie. I need to go back and look at it because, um, oh, the original, oh, the original version of the remake, not having China. I, um, yeah, the original version of the remake, they changed it, uh, because they had, okay. Yeah. I read that wrong. I read that wrong. Good catch. In the original version of the remake, the U.S. was invaded by the Chinese. The original version of Red Dawn, it was the Russians. I'm old. These kind of things happen. I make mistakes. That's my one mistake for the day. Make a note. So the original version of the remake. See, I didn't watch the remake. I saw the news coverage of it, and the original and the and the remake says we're going to have the Chinese. And they went back and they had to CG. That's right. They had because they had to CG all of the icon iconography and the flags and everything uh, to change it from the Chinese flags to the North Koreans. That's what it was. I'll get there eventually. Thank you for that reminder. Yes, in the original, it was the Russians and the Cubans. But it is one of those signs of the times where... You know, rules for thee and not for me. We're going to make all of these rules for these movies, but we're also going to provide all of these uh, sidesteps and back doors and oh by the ways, in order to basically continue as before, in order to appease the communist Chinese government. And to be honest. I'm really surprised that we're still broadcasting and nobody's pulled this video down. Let's see how long we go before we get a strike, right? It just it just strikes me as as hypocritical on several levels that this kind of thing happens. And when you go back and look at uh, the Doctor Strange thing, you know, casting her, you know, casting Tilda Swinton as the ancient one who's supposed to be from Tibet. You know, let, set aside the gender swap for a minute, but the, the ancient one is supposed to be from Tibet. And that's a huge no-no right now. You can't even mention Tibet. The Chinese are just... Mm, you know, yeah, Tibet. Tibet is, is the is the rebel province. They don't recognize Tibet. Uh, they don't recognize Taiwan either. But this idea here of casting uh, Tilda Swinton as, as the ancient one did not go over well. And it was done to appease China. It wasn't anything about inclusion or diversity or anything like that. Like, you know, there's, a, there's an article here 
uh, back and forth at Jezebel. Apparently, there was some email conversation between Tilda Swinton and Margaret Cho about all of this and the brouhaha about it. And, <coughs> excuse me, the, the, the blindness, the, the cognitive dissonance here about the certain characters being whitewashed and other characters not, it really kind of sends mixed signals because we can't talk about a character from Tibet at all in any movie that's going to have any hope of uh, release in China because the Chinese government only allows a certain number of non-Chinese films to uh, play in theaters every year. And at one time, Marvel was even thinking about co-producing Iron Man 3 with DMG Entertainment, their, their divisions in, in making it a co-production with China, but that would have put uh, too many restrictions and ownerships and stuff in, in the pocket. It would, would have put that movie in the pocket of the Chinese government. So they didn't do that, but they ended up doing all of this other stuff in order to appease. There's product placement, there's some ads and whatnot. But until Hollywood figures out their China problem, and they're not going to anytime soon, because as we've seen with the National Basketball Association, and we've seen with other companies, trying to trying to skate that line, because China's a big market, there are a lot of people in China, and they could buy tickets, and they could buy shoes, and they could buy, you know, whatever, you know, whatever widget you're trying to sell. But in order to do that, you have to compromise your principles, whether moral principles or business principles or ethical principles or whatnot, in order to appease the Chinese government. And that's in and of itself, shall I say, problematic, because you are saying one thing in the United States and you're doing something else in China that is hypocritical on the one hand and it is intellectually dishonest but I don't see this problem going away anytime soon you to me in terms of who you have in your productions both in front of the camera and behind the camera, you get the best people for the job. Period. Full stop. Doesn't matter who or what they look like or you know what they are or what they believe or, or who they sleep with or anything like that. Doesn't matter. You get the right person for the job. And if the character is based on other material, let's say a comic book character, then you get someone to play that character who looks like that character in the book. You get people in front of the camera who look like the, the the book or the comic book or the the magazine article or the whatever this in the source material the crew you get the best people for the job and like I said take race off of the job applications hire blind this person is completely you know is completely eminently qualified let's hire them and don't look at race or gender. Because as long as you focus on that, it will be a problem for some people. Because it continues to divide us. It continues to cause division and rifts and disagreements and suspicion and whatever other other things that you want to put in there conditions that exist because there's so much focus on how we're different 
And that's not what the civil rights movement was all about. The civil rights movement was about everybody getting treated equally. And we have swung so far in the other direction for these marginalized groups getting treated with preference. The science fiction and fantasy writers of America have said, if you're a person of color, we're going to waive your application fees for the rest of the year. Okay, doesn't have anything to do with merit or talent or skill or experience or the number of number of publications that you've had, you know, a number of stories that you've had published. It's based completely on your skin color. We're going to waive your application fee to become a member of the science fiction writers of America. Where is the where is the fairness of that? If you want to be treated equally, then you should not be complaining when you get treated equally. But it's not about that. This is, it's this slippery slope. We want to be treated equal, but we want to be treated more equal than others. And that's when we get into Animal Farm. Some animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. And that's where we are right now. You know, that when, when the focus is so much on how different we are, and we have to make certain considerations and accommodations for anybody who's not white or straight. Then nobody's being treated equally. And Hollywood is a microcosm that's going to show us this. And we've seen it. We've seen it for a while. But this continued capitulation to the Chinese government is going to come back and bite Hollywood in the butt. If it hasn't already. And it, I don't think it has. Not yet. But it will. Sci-Fi Snob wants to be in the more equal group. I would, I would be fine being in the more equal group too. But I would like everybody to be equal. Now, that does not guarantee equality of outcome. That's part of the problem. Everybody expects to get the same results. But your results depend on what you put into things. Your results depend on effort and skill and talent and a little bit of luck. But results are never guaranteed, and that's what these people want. That's what, that's what a certain group of people want. They want a guaranteed outcome where people get what they want. Speaking in broad terms. But there is no guarantee of outcome. There is no guaranteed result. There is no promise that you will get X if you do Z. There is the hope of that result. There is the goal that you set. But there's no guarantee that you're going to get it. I have set, I don't know how many goals for this operation. And we've met a few. We haven't met all of them. And when you don't meet the goal, you make an adjustment. We have, you know, I've talked about this before. We have what, these, what I call abort or pivot points. This doesn't work. Well, how do we change it? Or do we stop? What adjustments do we need to make because we did not meet our goal? The Indiegogo campaign is a good example of that. Uh, we were on track to make only 12% of our goal, and that wasn't going to be enough to do what we wanted to do to set up our own video channel. Eventually, I want to set up my own video channel so we can get off of YouTube and not have to worry about the algorithm and the censorship and the Chinese bots and the, pan, uh, the porn bots and the spam bots. I want to be able to have that control that I don't have now. And it's going to cost money, which we don't have. But I'm not going to sit here and and come hat in hand and and beg for money beg for money either. We do what we do. We get the result that we get. And if people want to support us, then there are ways to do that. We've got the PayPal. We've got the Subscribe Star. We've got the super chats. We've got those things that people can send us financial support if they're so inclined. But I'm not going to sit here and beg for it. Because that's not, that's not me. And I'm, but I'm also not going to sit here and kowtow and say, well, you know, we need to have, 
we need to have two black writers and we need to have a trans writer and we need to have, you know, three women and, and we get who we get and we get people who are able to do the work. If you want to be a volunteer on this, on this staff, my criteria, you know, my criteria for anybody who wants to contribute, <coughs> excuse me, is you got to know your stuff and you got to be willing to put in the work. That's it. And as far as audience goes, body temperature and breathing. As long as you're alive and if you've got some kind of interest in genre, then you are our potential audience. We don't do any gatekeeping. We don't do any quotas and, and diversity initiatives or anything like that. We welcome all comers. We welcome everybody. It's, it's, a, it's a big open tent on both sides, audience or staff. To have these diversity rules imposed upon the productions, it's not going to change things. On the surface... There might be a little movement. You might get a little discussion. But this is cosmetic. This is performative. This is... I don't want to say it's virtue signaling because it could very well start a conversation that could have value. But on the face of it, maybe not so much. I don't know. We'll see. All right, I mentioned the Subscribestar account. It is subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. We have a couple of levels set up there for uh, financial support if you want to do that. Uh, we've also got the PayPal link that you can use uh, for the tip jar. And we also have a discount code set up over at uh, stuff.com. Use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 and you can get 10% off your order. And that can work in combination with other sales and offers it just depends it's not every single one but it depends on uh, it depends on what they're doing uh, and of course if you want one of our stickers here you can send us a send us a self-addressed stamped envelope 1503 main street number 305 grandview missouri 64030 and we'll get that in the mail to you as well uh, earlier this week um, we dropped episode 99 of Salacious Crumbs, which is our Star Wars news program. Tomorrow night, Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, we have a brand new Ranker Pit. And we'll probably be talking about the John Boyega stuff and the Daisy Ridley stuff. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, I guess I can never work for Jason. I prefer to get a job due to inherent traits Why I can where I can do as little work as possible. I've had some people on staff like that before. You might fit in. We'll see. We can talk. Uh, so, okay. So that's going to do it for us today. Don't forget uh, uh, Ranker Pit tomorrow night. Good Morning Multiverse Saturday. And we will be back for our brand new H2O podcast on Monday night. I don't know what we're going to be talking about yet. Um, but you're invited to participate and, and watch and listen. And, of course, we will have a brand new week of this show. Uh, Monday through Thursday next week. Mark Walters will be in to talk about conventions. We're still lining up some guests for the rest of the week, but uh, uh, we'll have that rescheduled for next week. He was supposed to be in here on Wednesday and uh, had some family things uh, come up, so uh, we're rescheduling to next week. In the meantime, on our market calendar for October 31st, we've got a new show that's going to debut. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, um, but uh, it's coming, and we're very excited about it here. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for watching. Don't forget uh, to leave us a thumbs up on your way out. And uh, be sure to share. Make sure you're subscribed. Have your notifications turned on. Although, it really doesn't seem to be making much of a difference because a lot of our audience are people who are not subscribed, which is fine. As long as you're here and you enjoy what we do, we'd like for you to stay. Uh, so we will be back on Monday with more here live from the bunker on Sci-Fi for Me TV. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved.
No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.